No matter how hard we try to avoid it, there are times in our lives when we feel down and out. The perfect remedy? Next on Grow in Grace. Jesus was going to leave. They didn't know how he was going to leave at the time. One of them would betray him. They knew that. Peter was going to deny him. Judas has already left the dinner. Things that made them confused and nervous. So they didn't know yet that they're going to be persecuted in the world, hated by the world, and, and actually would actually die for their faith. But John starts out with this amazing statement about heaven. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place God will dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. The Packing House in Redlands welcomes you to Grow in Grace, a time of study and application in God's Word. Today, Pastor Ed Ray continues his series in the Gospel of John. A troubled heart. It's something that affects all of us at one time or another. The disciples were troubled as well when they realized their teacher and friend was about to leave them. What's the solution? Well, rather than focus on the circumstances, Pastor Ed Ray says, keep your eyes on heaven. Let's turn to John chapter 14 and draw some comfort from the words of Jesus. We're working our way through scripture verse by verse. We are in the gospel of John this morning, chapter 14, verse one. Jesus is speaking. It is a sermon that he's giving after the last supper. And he begins by speaking to his disciples that are struggling because they know he's leaving. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. Love Thomas. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip, almost as much fun as Thomas. Philip says to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Let's stop there and pray. Lord, we thank you that you came and taught men these great truths and you have left a record for us so that we might enjoy and understand what you've prepared for us in eternity. Speak to us now that we might hear 
and be excited about serving you. We ask that in Jesus' name and all of God's people agreed by saying amen. So we're looking at a sermon, one of four that Jesus gave. First one was way back in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And there he gave a sermon on the mount. It's called Blessed Are the Poor in Spirit, etc. And then he gave a sermon about the kingdom parables. And also in Matthew chapter 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who lost a coin or a pearl of great price. And then in 25, in Matthew 25, he gave this sermon called On the Mount of Olivet, the Olivet Discourse, some people call it. And he gave end times prophecies. And now at the Last Supper, he begins into a long, lengthy sermon that runs from chapter 13 all the way through 17. And it's really an encouraging sermon to his disciples, to his followers, of which you are and I am also. And he knows he's facing crucifixion in the matter of just a few hours. He would die, he would be buried, and then he'd resurrect. There were those who were going to betray him, Judas has already left the Last Supper. So he's speaking to encourage these people who were about ready to face the biggest trial of their life. And he makes them raise their eyes when difficulties happen in your life and in mine. We need to look at eternity. We need to look beyond where we are right now. Now, that's not very popular in our particular land. People say, well, you're of no earthly good because you're too heavenly minded. Well, that's actually backwards. You need to be so heavenly minded that you can be of some good for God here on planet Earth. So he's doing that, showing them. And he's going to give them this clear picture. In fact, the first time in the New Testament, a clear picture of what heaven is like. So as we go through it, you'll get a glimpse of heaven. Now, that reminds me of the story of the pastor and the congressman that both died on the same day. And they went to heaven, and they came to the pearly gates at the same time. And uh, Peter said, oh, welcome, gentlemen. And he said, just a minute, he reaches around, grabs some keys, and he hands it to the pastor. And he said, pastor, this is one of our nicest economy units. You'll enjoy it. It's a, it'll be great. He said, thank you very much. Then he reached around and grabbed a big set of keys and he hands it to the congressman. And he says, this, sir, is our finest penthouse suite. You will love it. And the pastor said, oh, thank you. The pastor said, said excuse me, Peter, how is that fair? And Peter said, well, you have to understand that in heaven, ministers are a dime a dozen. We got millions of them. But this is the first congressman we've ever seen. This is the last week of Jesus' life. And he gives this amazing sermon about heaven. Now, 62% of Americans in a recent Pew poll said they believe in heaven, that they're going to go there. But I don't think that can be true. If that was true, then why did we spend so much money on like plastic surgery and going to gyms and eating right and taking good care of ourselves? It's like, we want to stay here. We don't want to go to heaven. So this is a sermon right around that subject. And the reformer Martin Luther said this about this message. The best and most comforting sermon that Jesus delivered on earth 
a measure, a treasure, a jewel that cannot be purchased with anything this world has. So it's a foundation for comfort for the disciples, which includes you and I. And it starts at a time that the disciples are discouraged. They knew Jesus was going to leave. They didn't know how he was going to leave at the time. One of them would betray him. They knew that. Peter was going to deny him. Judas has already left the dinner. Things that made them confused and nervous. So they didn't know yet that they're going to be persecuted in the world, hated by the world, and, and actually would actually die for their faith. But John starts out with this amazing statement about heaven. So this passage, this message breaks up into three parts, verse 1, 2, and 3. Heaven is a place. It's not some smoky cloud filled up in the ether, Ned. No, it's a physical place, 1, 2, and 3. And then heaven is a path. It's a route. It's a a sidewalk. How to get there is verse 4 through 6. And heaven, finally, is a person. The person is Jesus Christ, 7, 8, and 9. That's where we're going. Fasten your seatbelts. Let's go. Verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And Jesus uses a Greek word, terrazzo, for troubled, that means to be stirred up. It actually is the same word that's used to describe the Sea of Galilee in the storm. When Je- I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's trying to remind them by choosing the word that they'll think about, we were in a storm. And it was waves breaking over the side of the ship. We didn't know if we were going to make it or not. And Jesus just spoke and everything calmed down. Peter is dejected, no doubt that he's going to blow it, and he's listening carefully. Jesus said, well, you believe in God, believe also in me. Now, they already were believing in Jesus. He uses a linear form here that means keep on trusting, keep on believing in me even when you can't see me. He doesn't say that, but that's what he knows what's coming to them. So you're going to have to keep on believing you believe God, believe me. Verse 2, in my father's house, there are many mansions. That word mansions in different translations says things like uh, apartments or rooms or other mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I don't want you thinking there's something there if it's not there, but there is, and I'm preparing it. The Bible uses a lot of different words for heaven. In Hebrews 11, verse 16, it's called both a country, indicating the vastness of it, how large it is, and it is a city also. Hebrews 11, 16, instead, They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared a city for them, a lot of inhabitants in heaven. So it's also called a kingdom, indicating that there's a governmental structure to heaven. It was called paradise by Jesus 
to the thief on the cross. Today, you will be with me in paradise. That, that's an ancient Persian world view that is a, a picture of the king of Persia, which would have been Cyrus the Great. He had a walled garden, and it was huge. It was watered, beautiful trees and everything they brought in. But he kept wild animals, and it was like having your own zoo. So paradise is going to be beautiful. It's going to be a well-watered garden, desirable. Now here, Jesus calls heaven my Father's house. It is a home. The place that Jesus is preparing you for you right now is a home. We're learning about our heavenly home today on Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. We're in John chapter 14. Now, home is a place where you can be yourself, right? I like home. It's where you take off your necktie if you're wearing one and kick off your shoes. It's where you can say whatever you're thinking. And whatever idiosyncrasies you have, your family already knows about it. And they just accept you for your own weirdness, right? Home is where you can always be accepted, always be loved. You're not a guest there at home. You are, in fact, a resident. You live there. That's what Jesus is talking about. That's home. I'm going to take you to my father's house, he says, and it will be your home too. You'll be part of the family, the family of God. You'll be home where you belong. Doesn't that sound good? So he calls it a mansion here in the New American Standard, it's called dwelling places. My father's house has many dwelling, many rooms, many apartments, another translation. All those are good. There's a lot of old writers from the past that like to talk about mansions and the sky. Nothing wrong with that. Heaven is described in Revelation 21, verse 16, as a city. The city is laid out as a square and its length is as great as its width. And he measured the city with the rod, 1,500 miles. Its length and width and height are equal. Heaven, prepared for you and for me, is actually a cube, a huge one, 1,500 miles on a side. That means that if you placed it down on the United States, and you started at Seattle, and you went east, you'd go all the way to St. Louis, and then all the way down to the Mexican border, and then all the way back to San Diego. That's a, a square that's 1,500 miles on a side. It's huge, it is. It's half of the continental United States, just on the ground floor but it goes up 1,500 miles also. And so it has room for countless number of people. Now, people that do population studies, historically anthropologists, they try and figure out how many people have lived on the earth. Now, that's not an easy thing to come up with. I spent a little time this week looking for it. And the biggest number I could find is that 30 billion people have lived on the earth at, over the, all since the creation. Now, 
30 billion people seems like a lot of people. We're at about 8 billion people, they announced this week on the earth. Pretty full. But I want to be generous. So let's say that in heaven, two-thirds of everyone who've ever lived goes to heaven. And that's a lot of grace, okay? I understand. But let's dispense grace here this morning together. Okay, so let's say there's 20 billion people in heaven. Wow, that's a lot of grace. So is there room? Pastor, that sounds like a lot of people crammed into 1,500 cubic miles. That's a huge amount of space. If every person gets an equal lot, of 1,500 miles along the side and up, your place will be 200 square miles. Is that big enough for you? You got room for cows, you got room for horses, ATCs, Jeeps, whatever your thing is. 200 square miles. You got a pretty fair chunk of land in heaven. And there's people close to you, they're around you. There's fellowship with people. Revelation 21, 2. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of the heavens from God, made ready as a bride adorned as for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, the throne of God, say, Behold, the tabernacle, the house, the mansion of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, God in our presence, and they will be his people, and God himself will be among them. Now, the Jews who were listening to this, the disciples, they thought of God's house as being the temple in Jerusalem. It was not. In fact, even Solomon knew that when he finished the temple in 1 Kings 6, 5, he prayed and he said, God, we know you don't dwell in a building made with men's hands, but condescend and come down and visit your people here when you hear them pray, that they might know that you are the God who hears your prayers. So, we'd like to say, well, this is God's house. No, it's not. <laughs> he doesn't live in buildings, but he is building one for you. And it is huge, and it's a beautiful spot. And he will be there. That's the point. Verse 4, John goes on, and he, God, will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death no longer any mourning, nor crying, nor pain. All those things have passed away because of the close proximity of God. You're in his presence, and you will have a new body. That's the right response. Praise God. This one is worn out. It's all beat up. It's scarred up. I haven't been kind to it, but I had a lot of fun. Um, but God gives us a new one. Now, we don't know a lot about how the new ones work. All we can do is look at the body that Jesus got, right? So after he resurrected, all of a sudden, he showed up in a room where the doors were locked and the windows were locked. Just showed up. 
And, and it freaked all the disciples out. And then shortly thereafter, he met them on a beach at the Sea of Galilee. And there he was barbecuing fish for them. And he ate with them. So the good news is these new bodies that we get, the new bodies, we get to eat. In fact, the Bible talks a lot about eating in heaven, which is good. I like to eat. And they can't count calories in heaven. Come on. Nobody cares about too much salt or cholesterol or fat or any of those things. And so the marriage supper of the lamb, it's going to be awesome. You'll get to eat anything that you want. New bodies. For 2 Corinthians 5.1, Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, this tabernacle, is dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's your new body. It's kind of a LX super sport model. You know, you just think about going somewhere and you're there, evidently. So it's going to be a lot of fun racing around heaven. I'm really looking forward to it. Now, Psalm 23, King David wrote, Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. I go to prepare a place for you. It's a physical place. And David understood something most Old Testament saints don't even see. He's the only one that talks about going from earth into heaven and spending the time with God. Goodness and mercy all the days of eternity. So, if I go, verse 3, and prepare a place for you, better since I go to prepare a place for you, literally it says in the Greek, I will come again and receive you to myself, so that there you may be also where I am. Okay, now this part gets confusing to some people. A couple people came up after the last service. To be absent from your body is to be present with the Lord. Not your body, you're going to die and your body's going to stay here, but your soul and your spirit will go to heaven. To be absent from the body, if you were to die today and they put your body up in Hillside Cemetery, you wouldn't be there. Your soul and your spirit would be in heaven. Someday, Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to kind of do a, I hate to say this, but it's a recycling thing. I don't know why he wants our old bodies back. I think it's because he doesn't want Satan to have any victories at all. He's going to bring them all together. It's like you know, going taking down all your aluminum cans and plastic bottles and stuff. And for God, there's a, a California added value to your body. So he's going to pick them all up. And if I go and prepare a place, he said, then... I will come back, come back. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and the voice of an archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ, people who have already died, whose bodies are in the ground or in the ocean or wherever else, will rise first. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. The, the word caught up in Latin is rapture, where we get the word to be raptured. To meet the Lord in the air, and we shall always be with the Lord. We're going through the Gospel of John with Pastor Ed Ray here on Grow in Grace, and it's just a part of our Through the Bible study. If you'd like the CD, which contains the complete and uninterrupted message, call us today at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. You can also listen to the program online at thepackinghouse.org. And again, we're at thepackinghouse.org. We're thankful to the Lord for this opportunity to share His Word over the radio, and maybe this is a ministry you'd like to support. This would be a wonderful time to hear from you, and we'll say thanks by sending you The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. This is a classic devotional that has moved the hearts of believers for well over a century. Each chapter focuses on one attitude of God, from God's infinitude to his immutability, grace and goodness. I think you'll find it to be both theologically rich and approachable. Again, we'll send you the knowledge of the holy when you give a gift of any amount to grow in grace. Just call us right now at 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. We'll talk more about heaven tomorrow on Grow in Grace. Don't miss the exciting details. This program is furnished on this station by the Packing House Christian Fellowship. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son. Selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love.